0: Blessed assurance. That word assurance is, is powerful. It ties into what we were singing earlier about trust. It's being completely assured of something. And in this situation, completely assured of someone. Someone that you can trust. I remember growing up and watching old westerns with my dad and There'd be scenes often where the white man makes peace with the the Indian, right? And they become blood brothers. And they they slit their arms and they and they tie their arms together. I don't even know if that's historically accurate. But it communicates a very powerful truth that a promise sealed in blood cannot be broken. You know the disciples Trusted Jesus, I think it's fair to say, and I trust the people that I've been through it with. Who's with me? The people you trust the most are the people that you've been through life. You've been through thick and thin. You've been through the good times and the bad times. Those are the people that you really trust. And and the disciples spent three years in Jesus and his ministry, and he saw them. He they saw him do miracles. They saw people rise from the dead. Uh, They saw demons cast out. Uh, They saw the lame walk again. And every time something like that happened, more and more trust was earned and and, and was was given to their Savior. And they, they began to truly believe that He is who He said He was. And yet, there came a day when the person they saw as invincible became very weak in their eyes. He was arrested, unjustly tried, hung on a cross, bled and died. And even though he told them three days later he would rise again, they struggled to trust in that moment. The Bible teaches us that they were hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid that the religious leaders were gonna come after them next. But suddenly, Christ appeared to them in the flesh, resurrected, proving exactly what he said would happen, happened. And I can tell you from that day forward, it was easier for them to put their trust in Jesus. That same blessed assurance is offered to you and I today. Because what else could he do to prove that he could be trusted and counted upon? Because if the threat of suffering and death did not keep him from accomplishing his mission for you, and you gotta understand, he bled and died on that cross for you and I. You were the motive behind that so that he could restore us unto relationship. And if the cross didn't deter him, then whatever it is you're facing today, you can trust that God can be counted upon, that he does hear your prayers, that he does move when you pray, that, that he does hear when you call as we were singing. And so I wanna invite you at this time, we're gonna partake in communion and we invite all of you who are followers of Jesus, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior to partake in this with us. And so I'd just like to dismiss you. We have two tables on this side, two tables on that side. You're gonna find two cups stacked on top of each other. You want both of those cups. And I want you to go ahead and bring those back to your tables. And we're gonna take these together as we remember the God that can be trusted. So let's go ahead and get our elements and come back. such a beautiful picture of um, God's heart as Jesus sat down to eat with his disciples one last time. Can you imagine eating a meal knowing it's going to be your last? Can you imagine that for a moment? It's your last meal. A lot of us have asked that icebreaker question before. What would be your last meal? (laughs) What would you choose to eat if you knew it was your last meal? But that the food wasn't what was on Jesus's mind. His disciples were. And as he sat before them, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he began to pass it around. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And we're reminded that not only did he die, but his body was bruised and beaten and that he received Uh, lashings upon his back. And the Bible says it's by his stripes that we are healed. And he paid this penalty and he took our punishment upon him. And the whole reason why we do this today is to remember. Because when we remember and when we reflect on what's been done for us, are reminded that we can trust him in every situation, no matter how rough life is right now, no matter how beaten up you feel, you serve a God that can not only sympathize, but empathize with you because he endured so much physical and emotional punishment that day. So Father, right now we come to you in prayer and we thank you for what this little cracker we hold represents God, that you took our punishment that we deserved upon yourself. And we thank you, God, that you did something that we couldn't do. You paid a price that we couldn't pay. And we remember that today. And as we partake of this bread today, God, I pray that we would just sink into the peace that comes from trusting in you fully we lay our burdens down to the one who took our beating for us and we thank you in Jesus name. Let's go ahead and take the cracker together and as some of you know he then took a cup of wine and he passed it around and he said this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible teaches us the wages of sin is death and That wasn't okay with god he's a just god he's a holy god he's got to follow his own law or it wouldn't be god but he says okay i love them so much i'm going to die in their place and the bible says that his shed blood covers our sins and washes us clean In a lot of ways you could say that christianity is a violent religion and belief system it sounds pretty grotesque and pretty violent And yet there's so much beauty in that pain when we realize the motivation behind it that he shed every last drop of blood for you and me, that we were on his mind as he hung there on that cross. And it's because of that that we can find freedom from sin and healing in our lives. So Father, right now we come before you thanking you for the blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Jesus, that because of this, you remember our sins no more. Not only do you say, it's okay, I forgive you, but you wipe it away. Our record is expunged. It won't follow us wherever we go. Other people might try to hold our past against us, but you never will. And we thank you for that and we give you praise for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the Jews together. Amen. thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, God. Uh, what about, we thank you for what happens when we sing hallelujah, when we exalt your name, and when we, when we magnify you. Everything else comes into perspective. The cares of this world fade away. Our problems don't seem so big. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And as we fix our thoughts on you, God, you give us victory over our circumstances. And we praise you for that, Father. Lord, I pray today that every ear would be open, every heart would be open and ready to receive the life-giving word of truth that comes from your scriptures, Lord God. May the gospel of peace rest upon us and penetrate every heart, God, and deliver us from fear, from anxiety, from worry, from stress. And may we step into the life you paid for. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor before you're seated and say, peace. <laughs> and you know, that's not like a goodbye because you're not going anywhere. So don't get any ideas. All right. Wow. So good to see you guys. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Thank you, team, for leading us in that incredible time of worship. So appreciate these guys and their ministry. And we have a couple that... Uh, uh, not a couple, but two people um, that were kind of under the weather today that were scheduled. So let's be lifting up our worship team today. But what a great job from our team to be able to scramble together at the last minute, find substitutes, and we still have this incredible time with the Lord. And I'm just so thankful to have these guys on our team here at the fountain. All right, well, praise God. I want to talk to you this morning about the enemy's attack on our families. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yep, I'm aware that there's an enemy and he's coming against families. And all over the world, right? Because I think nothing, a few things threaten the enemy's kingdom greater than the godly family. And we look to scripture and we will look to scripture through this next series entitled Home, Uh, where we look at not only does God have a plan and a purpose for family, but how the roles within the family actually mirror some of the relational aspects between us and God, right? He says things like, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. How incredible, right? Right? And so what we see in Scripture is, first of all, uh, God's not going to use the family construct to to teach uh, heavenly things if there isn't a standard for families to uh, possess those qualities and exemplify those qualities. In other words, people should look at your family and see Jesus. And nothing reflects the glory of God like a home that has peace. Something very important that we need to understand about peace this morning, we're gonna talk about restoring peace at home. Peace, the biblical definition of peace is not an absence of conflict. Somebody say we all have conflict, okay? And so peace is not the absence of conflict, but what peace is, and you can write this down if you want, it's not in the slides, but if you're taking notes, That biblical peace is a state of being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually at rest. Peace is being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually at rest. And what makes that so powerful is we understand that it all begins here. It begins within me. And it helps me understand that it's not situational. It's not bent on my circumstances, dependent upon my circumstances, but I can have peace in the midst of the storm. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement before, to have peace in the midst of the storm. But here's the problem, human nature doesn't look at peace that way. And in fact, for some of us, it doesn't take much conflict to rob us of our peace, And when our peace has been taken from us, rather we've given our peace away, we find ourselves living, acting, and displaying attitudes that do not reflect Christ. And not only that, but they chase peace even further out of our lives, right? And sometimes we create chaos because we're living and, fear. and as long as we believe that peace is only found in the absence of conflict, that's exactly what the enemy will use to tear your peace apart. He'll bring conflict into your life knowing that he can steal your peace. So what happens is we often have this negative sideways energy that we create. In an effort to create peace, we actually wreak havoc. It caused more conflict. Um, There's a a very underrated movie called The Guardian. You guys ever seen that? It's Ashton Kutcher, right? Dude can actually act. He's not just a pretty face, right? He's a pretty good actor, right? And he works for the Coast Guard. And uh, there's a discussion happening over here whether how attractive Ashton Kutcher is. it's our worship leader over there. All right, and, um, and so he works for the Coast Guard and there's a scene where there's a storm and in the midst of the storm, a, a boat has sunk and there's a man and he's in very rough waters, right? And he's drowning. And so uh, one of the Coast Guard people jumps into the water to save him, but the man is thrashing about frantically because he's so terrified that he's gonna be swallowed up by his surroundings. And so as the, the, the rescuer gets closer, he finds himself getting drugged down with this man. And there's a threat of both of them drowning because he's expending all of this energy trying to stay afloat. And yet his fear is actually causing his demise and possibly the, the demise of this man as well. And so this, uh, this uh, Coast Guard person takes drastic action takes his elbow and goes, bop! Right in the guy's face, knocks him out cold so that he can just calmly pull him into safety. And as a result, he saves this person's life. I believe this morning that there are some of you that are not living and operating in the God-given peace that he offers you and you're flailing about and the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you today and he wants to go, bop! And get your attention and show you how in certain ways you're actually fighting against God. And as long as you're in conflict with God, you can't have peace in your heart. See, sometimes when it comes to family, we face seasons where it feels like we're drowning in a sea of conflict. Maybe we feel like our kids are out of control. Maybe there's troubles with our spouse and, we, and we're not handling it well. How many of you will be really honest in the room and say, sometimes I don't handle family conflict well. All right, your pastor has his hand up As well, and I'm thankful for this series because I'm planning on taking stuff away from it. I'm planning on God speaking to my life. Sometimes I don't handle conflict well. And so what happens is as we feel like we're drowning, we can become overwhelmed. My kids, they don't respect me. They don't love me. My spouse isn't attentive to my needs, whatever it is. And so out of that hurt, we're like a wounded animal backed in a corner. And so we lash out and all it does is just perpetuate the very things that we're trying to put an end to. And so if we, react to fa- if we react to family conflict out of fear and desperation, we'll end up causing the very things we're trying to stop. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? One of the main ways the enemy attacks our families is with fear. He, he starts with our children, and it works all the way up to parents and grandparents. And every, every aspect of family Young people, children in here, listen. You have fears. We all have fears, and I, I think sometimes for young people, there's a fear of missing out, and that's why a lot of times we hear a kid say, "Well, Johnny's mom lets him watch rated R movies, right? You ever heard that before?" Or um, my friend Sally gets to stay up past midnight right and so there's this constant fear that their kid their friends might have it better right they have a better life and so i'm afraid that my parents are robbing me of happiness, it's the same temptation that led Eve to sin in the garden, right? God doesn't have what's best in mind for me. It's not fair when that's right there, it's right in front of me. It looks good, um, it tastes good, and so I want to partake in it. And so this person's not letting me do that. So they must are be trying to rob me of something good in my life, kids. Sometimes you you feel like you're not being treated fairly right? Maybe you feel like you've got that baby brother that gets away with murder, right? And, and you never get away with anything. You, you, you get in trouble for everything and this person gets away with everything and it's just not fair. Sometimes you have a fear of rejection with your peers, right? And so out of these different fears, it can cause us to act in uh, poor choices in destructive manner, Right? And it can also lead to a lot of family conflict. And so when you respond to your parents' correction or discipline with attitude and sass, you're flailing your arms around like that drowning person. When you are, you're fighting against your rescuer. See, God has put your parents in your lives, young people, for a reason. And he's uh, given them the authority to bring correction to your life. But what happens is so often when we receive that discipline, we don't like it, it makes us uncomfortable. So what do we do? We go behind our parents' back. We lie, we deceive, we steal. We might sneak out of the house after dark. But what happens is as we respond to our parents that way, young people, listen to me. Hey, I know I'm old, but I was a kid once. You'll begin to sink deeper and deeper into what you fear most you fear being completely out of control. See, what you're seizing, what you're trying to seize power, you're trying to seize control in your life, right? You wanna have that sense of control. But as we resist the authorities that God has put in our lives, we're completely out of control. And it's a very unsettling and scary place to be. See, young people, you were born with a need for boundaries so that you feel safe. And without them, you'll feel less control, not more. And so on the flip side, Young people, I want to empower you this morning. You might have two parents that are not people of peace. You might have two parents, they're they're shouting, they're breaking things all the time. Maybe they're saying hurtful things, they're saying mean things out of their frustration towards you, whatever it may be. I want to tell you something, and I want you to look at me. Everybody under the age of 18, look at me right now. Okay? You're not helpless, You might feel helpless, you're not helpless. I'm gonna give you some principles today that you can apply to your life that will have such a great impact on your own mind and your own heart that it will rub off on your siblings and on your parents. That you as a young person, that God through his Holy Spirit can teach you to be a person of peace in such a way that you can actually affect the temperature of your home. You can change the atmosphere of your home and I believe that with all of my heart. Parents, How many of you know that being a parent is scary, right? And so we struggle with a fear that our kids are going to go down the wrong path and never return again. I think that's one of our greatest fears, especially as believers, right, who believe that there's a heaven and a hell and there's an eternity, that our kids will walk away from the Lord and they'll never return, they'll never come back. And so out of that fear, we can end up doing things that actually hurt instead of help. You might fear that they don't respect you. You might doubt their love for you. And so what happens is you can parent from this place of fear and you say things that you know are hurtful. And in the moment you don't realize it, but afterwards you do. You use a certain tone, you might overreact. Um, And in your effort to save your children, you could actually drive them further into rebellion. Anybody ever afraid that you're doing that? Like I might be pushing my kid off the edge but on the flip side, we know if we become permissive, right, I don't want to push my kid away into rebellion, so I'm just going to let him make his own choices. I'm going to let him decide whether he wants to go to church. Don't get me started. That's, that's for later in the series, right? Um, I'm not going to make my kid read the Bible because what if he begins to loathe it because I forced it upon him? But I'm not worried if he's going to hate math right, or the ability to survive in life because I taught them life skills, even if they didn't wanna learn it, but I don't wanna make them read the Bible, right? And so what happens is we can become so permissive that they spin out of control because what happens is because they were designed for boundaries, here's what happens, guys. And students, this will give you an idea of how your mind works. The reason why oftentimes they act out and they push the envelope, you know that term, push the envelope? is because they're trying to find out where the boundaries are. Have you ever been alone in a dark room? It was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. What's the first thing you start to do? You begin to feel around, right? Because you wanna know where the boundaries are. How far can I go before I stub my toe? How far can I go before I bang my face on a doorknob? Um, How far can I go before I trip over something and fall? because I can't be comfortable, I can't feel safe in that space until I understand my boundaries. And it's the same thing with our kids, that if we are not consistently showing them the boundaries in the same place, then they're gonna find themselves feeling out of control, which is gonna cause them to act out even more. So children, as you know, their brains are still being developed, right? Some say even till the age of 25 sometimes. And so what happens is they have a hard time self-regulating. And so a lot of times their emotions get the best of them. And some of you are thinking, I'm like 40 and I have a hard time regulating, right? And but here's the problem is if you are someone who is not regulated, you can't help somebody else regulate. And so parents, if you don't have peace, how can you instill peace in your children? There's this great book that I'm reading right now, it's called The Whole Brain Child, and it talks about how the brain has both a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, right? And it's got these connecting fibers, and those connecting fibers are there for a reason, so that the two sides can communicate with one another. Because how many of you know if you're all left-brained, which is your logic side, and you don't consider the feelings of others and maybe the um, emotional consequences of your choices, that's gonna be pretty destructive, right? But if you're all right-brained, right, and it's all just, I do what I feel because it makes me feel good and darn the consequences. That's really destructive as well. And so you need this integration taking place. In the same way, there's an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain. And, and our kids, especially when they're upset, they're operating more on the downstairs brain. They've got this brainstem down here that they're just feel and do and scream and act out, right? And so what happens is God gave them this upstairs brain, but guess what? It's still being developed. It's under construction. And so it's up to us as parents to teach them to integrate their upstairs brain with their emotions, to keep their emotions in check. But how many of you know that's impossible to do if we don't know how to do it ourselves? So I believe God wants to bring peace to us so that we can restore peace back to our families. not only do we have fears about our kids, but we have fears uh, that our spouse sometimes, maybe they don't truly love us or respect us the way that we feel we need. Maybe we have this irrational fear that they're gonna become unfaithful to us. And so in an effort uh, to protect our heart out of fear, what do we do? We end up pushing them further away, creating a deeper chasm in our relationship. And this is the goal of the enemy, to use fear to rob us of our peace, to reap havoc Uh, to wreak havoc on our families because he knows that if he can destroy the home, he's destroyed culture. How many of you can see that happening before our eyes today? And so here's the deal. A lot of churches are getting behind the political movements and trying to legislate the solutions. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time and place for that, but I'm telling you right now, if God is going to begin to restore this country to him, it's gonna begin at home. And the church needs to focus on healthy, happy homes again. So how do we restore lost peace? First of all, it begins in your mind. It doesn't begin by solving the problems, but it begins in your mind. Romans 8, 6 says this, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How many of you are lining up for the death line? You're like, that's for me and my family. I wanna get in the death line. Nobody, nobody, no takers? Okay, how many of you say, I wanna get in the line for life and peace? That's what I want for my family. Okay, and there's still some of you that are too tired to raise your hand, so I'm praying for you that the word still gets through. Um, There's no third option there. Um, So the peace of God is not something you gain once you bring all the chaos in your life under control. It's not something that comes uh, when all is peaceful around you. It's not based on your circumstances at all. People often think of it this way in this mathematical equation, that A, which is your circumstances, equals C, your feelings. I'm sad because my dad was mean when I was a kid, right? I'm angry because he had a temper. Um, I can't stay faithful to my spouse because my dad cheated on my mom 15 times, right? And that's why I am the way I am. That's why I feel the way I feel. But the truth is A does not equal C. In fact, A, my circumstances plus B, my belief about those circumstances equals my feelings. It's what you believe about what's happening to you. That is key. So there's only one way to have peace in every situation, and that is by letting the Spirit control your mind, as we read in Romans 8, 6. Jesus, if you remember, he came walking upon the water, and sometimes we forget the circumstances of that because that's miraculous enough in and of itself, right? He was walking on water, and that would be impressive if it was a calm sea. But we realize that Jesus came walking on the water to his disciples because they were in the midst of a terrible storm, afraid for their very lives and yet it was in the storm that the presence of Jesus was found. And I need you to understand something. If you recall the story, he came and the first thing he says is, it is I, do not be afraid. He steps in the boat and then He says, peace be still, and the wind and the waves were calmed. Jesus came there to first calm their hearts and their minds before he did anything about the storm that they were in. And some of us live in this perpetual sense of anxiety because we're waiting for the storm to stop. And Jesus says, I want to take care of the storm in your mind before I begin to address your circumstances. See, God will usually change your belief before he changes your circumstances. God will usually do a work inside of you before he does anything around you. See, God's comfort exists outside of comfortable situations. That's why he gave us a comforter. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit because he's called us to live in uncomfortable situations. He's called us to uncomfortable places and to uncomfortable people and challenges. And if we were called to comfort, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. And yet some of us remain in anxiety because we're trying to avoid everything that causes us discomfort. Discomfort. And in that energy to try to find a shortcut or try to avoid necessary conflict, all that does is keep the storm going within us. And so everything I'm about to teach you over these next few weeks um, is secondary to what we're gonna learn today. We must have the peace of God in our own hearts and minds and this truth will make or break your family. You're not gonna get far with a practical without the supernatural, amen? So we're gonna learn the practical, but we have to understand that it's supernatural. So we're gonna take just a couple minutes here to discuss a question. How are you responding to the storms in your family relationships right now? Are you reacting in fear or are you responding out of peace? Let's take a few minutes to discuss this and then I'll come and wrap it up. All right. I'm always so appreciative when I hear people be so honest during these difficult questions, where we sort of peel back the curtain a little bit and we say, "Um, Here's some of my yuck, you know, here's some of my ugliness. And what that does is just shows. Uh, That we can trust one another and that we love one another. There's no judgment in this place. And I just thank you so much for your transparency this morning. And I just want to quickly give you, I'm going to try to give you five ways to restore peace to your home. Five ways to restore peace to your home. We'll see if we get through all five. If we have to save some for next week, uh, we will. But I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look verses 12 through 15. And this is one of many uh, letters that Paul wrote to a specific church to address some of the situations that they were facing. And we have the benefit of reading these letters as they relate so much to everyday life. And so starting here in verse 12, it says, "'Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe, everybody say clothe. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's, somebody say that's quite an outfit. I thought I'd get at least a few chuckles, but sometimes you just try too hard. Um, make allowance for each other's faults. And give them courtesy laughs for their bad jokes. Come on, people. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Somebody say rule. These are key words here. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Somebody say called. That's another big one. And always be thankful. I love how he just kind of throws that in there at the end. And always be thankful, by the way. But it's so much more than an afterthought, isn't it? The power of giving thanks can really change our perspective. So I want to talk about that word clothe. That word clothe means to clothe or be clothed with. And it says in this, in this helps word study, uh, this person wrote, in the sense of sinking into a garment. Anybody have like a super comfortable robe that you like to wear around the house, right? Or maybe um, it's this outfit that you wear. You don't, it's not because of what it looks like, but because of how, how it feels, right? It's just, just like, oh. That's what I get, that's the image I get, sinking into a garment. You know, there's something you wrap yourself up with and maybe you've got a special blanket, like Ashley has a special blanket and I don't get it because it's like not even soft, but she's like, she wraps it in her pillow so that she can lay on it. So she doesn't cover up with it, she has to lay on it and there's something about this weird rough texture that helps her sleep. So make fun of her today when you see her. It's the weirdest thing, right? but it brings comfort to her and she will sink into that pillow. If she doesn't have her blanket, she's like, I can't sleep, I need my blankie. And so if it's dirty, it's in the wash and it's not dry yet, there's been times where I've stayed up late so I can come get it out of the dryer and then bring it to her. That's what a great husband I am. So um, she sinks into that and because she sinks into it, it sort of kind of envelops her and she's able to rest at peace. Isn't that a great analogy? But think about, thank you, thank you. Lots of pats on the back for Pastor Joe today. But to clothe yourself is also to take action. Think about that. To clothe yourself is to do something, to take what you have and then to put it on. Where am I going with this? If you're cold and you have a jacket, you put it on. Somebody say, duh. See, the presence of the resource alone doesn't make the difference, does it? You actually have to put it on to be comforted by it, to be warmed by it. So how do we clothe ourselves in God's peace? I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That word remain is translated as uh, abide, stay, or wait. In other words, live here. Live in intimacy with me. Stay with me. Stay close to me. Be be near to me in your thoughts. Be, Be near to me in your heart. Um, As we read on more what he says in chapter 15, we learn that part of the way we abide is through our love and and part of the way we abide is by obeying his commandments. How about that? Did you know that when you obey God's commands, it keeps you close to him? It keeps you in close intimacy with him. It keeps you from straying far away. And so in order to sink into that peace, we must remain in his presence And yet, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have the audacity uh, to think that I can skip out on my time with Jesus in the morning and it not have a negative effect on me. It's like walking outside in the dead of winter where it actually gets cold, like Flagstaff, right? And you're holding your jacket in your hand and you're like, why am I so cold? It's frigid out here. I've got this jacket and it's not making me feel warm. If anybody said that, you'd be like, put your jacket on, stupid. And yet that's exactly what we do. Jesus tells us that this is the key to everything. Intimacy with him, staying in him, remaining in him, staying connected with him. And yet we start our day. And, and let me tell you this, what, this sends a very powerful message to our subconscious and to God. When we don't start our day in God's presence, we're saying, I got this. We're saying, God, I don't need you today. I got this. So what happens is inevitably conflict arises and we're not positioned to handle it in a godly manner. It takes us by surprise. And how many of you like being taken by surprise? No. And so we don't respond very well because we were taken by surprise and we respond very emotionally. And so we are inconsistent with our time spent in prayer and the word. And then when fear and chaos ensue, we become even more inconsistent, right? Because we push further away because we're frustrated. And then we're we're overwhelmed by everything that's on our plate. And we feel like we have to address it. And so um, we don't have time to pray. And do you see the downward spiral that we begin to create? The very discipline that will bring us peace is the first thing we push to the side in order to create margin in our life so that we have the time to tackle our issues. Wow, we are sheep, aren't we? I'm guilty of it too. See, it's only by abiding in Christ that we activate the spirit of God within us. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. And he says, my father will love them and we will come and make our home With each of them. Somebody say home. See, Jesus promised his disciples in that moment. He says, look, I'm with you now. Like, you can see me, you can talk to me. But when I return, I'm going to be within you. Think about that. They went from, you know, they might think, I'm going to miss the times that we walked hand in hand with Jesus. And and along the road, we talked and we asked him questions. And he's saying, no, 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 it's going to be better. Because when I come back, I'm sending you my spirit and you're gonna know me so well and so much better because I'm gonna dwell within you by the power of my spirit. And so what he's saying is I'm making your heart my home. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is heaven marked by chaos, fear, anxiety, anger? Is that what we know heaven of? Is that what we expect culture to feel like in heaven and eternity one day? Of course not, why? Because it is the home of the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, surely there's not going to be anxiety and fear and chaos, but there's going to be order and peace. And so if we are now the home of the presence of God, then shouldn't our lives be marked by that presence? Be marked by that peace. He goes on to say, when the Father sends the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And so Jesus is showing us that it's through the Holy Spirit that makes it possible to clothe ourselves or to sink into his peace, despite our circumstances. But if we're not abiding then we've closed our ears to his peace and to his guidance. And so the next step, now that we've learned how we can sort of uh, settle into and sink into his peace is number two, to let go of what tears our peace apart. To let go of what tears our peace apart. I, I feel like I've spent a lot of time talking about letting go of things over the past year. Um, you know, illustrations about uh, uh, holding on to a glove in the wood chipper. You remember that, right? I almost lost a hand because I wouldn't let this stupid $5 glove go. Um, My dog who fell out of the back of the truck and we drug him along the pavement because he was tied to the back of the truck. You know, And how when you hold on to things, it can do you more harm than good. This is another scenario here that we must let go of what tears it apart. In verse 13, it says, forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. That means your toddler son. That means your teenage daughter. Um, That means... Your husband, that means your wife, that means your husband that forgot your anniversary. That means uh, your wife who um, was really disrespectful to you in front of your buddies, right? That means um, your husband that um, promised he'd take out the trash for the 50 billionth time and forgot again. As long as we hold on to the things that tear our peace away from us, we, of course, will not be able to maintain it. Nothing will rob you or your family of peace like unforgiveness. I say it all the time. It's an old saying, I know, but forgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting someone else to get sick. It doesn't make any sense. It's impossible to be at peace while holding on to hurt in your heart. And so when you cling to bitterness, what you're doing is you're waging war upon your own mind and you perpetuate chaos in your home. I love what Paul goes on to say next. He says, remember. We just took communion today, right? And we talked about remembering. What are we remembering? He says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is a command. I think some of us might view that as ironic, like, because we feel like our emotions are things that happen to us, like we discussed earlier. And it's like, it's like saying, hey, be happy, you know, when someone's really upset, you're like, it doesn't work that way. And yet we're getting a command here to forgive others. So we understand that it's not about feelings, is it? But it's about a decision that we make in our mind. How many of you know that sometimes you make the right choice and then the right feelings follow, right? But have you ever waited for the feelings to change before you made the right choice? How many of you are still waiting? That's kind of how it works. And so we have to make the right choice first for our feelings to change. And so we're commanded to forgive. And what we're seeing here is that if we're struggling to forgive, then our real problem is a memory problem. The bigger problem is that you've forgotten what and how you have been forgiven. There's three things that stand out when it comes to the way God forgives us. Number one is he forgives freely. That means he did not hesitate. He did not delay when we asked him. He didn't say, you know, it's gonna take me a little while to get over this. So right now I'm gonna need some space, okay? So you, you just, you know, you, don't talk to me for a while. I'll get back to you when I'm ready to forgive you. No, it says he, he forgives freely without finding fault. Number two, fully He's forgiven us fully. That means he's pardoned all our offenses. Somebody say all our offenses. He's pardoned every single thing that we have done wrong. Whereas humans, we compartmentalize our forgiveness sometimes. And we're like, I'll forget what you did yesterday, but I'll never forget what you did today. Because nothing cut me deep like what you said to me today. And finally, number three, his forgiveness is forever. He remembers our sins, the Bible says, no more, and treats us as if we have not sinned. Can you imagine? I think that's something that, if it's not a memory problem, it's an understanding problem. We know we've been forgiven, but sometimes forgiveness to us isn't the same thing as it is to God. And we think forgiveness just means, all right, I won't punish you. Um, as, as a child, okay, I didn't get grounded but you can, your parents can withhold punishment from you and still hold something against you, can't they, right? And Sometimes we think that that's how it is with God, that when he forgives us, is like, all right, I'm not gonna send you to hell, but I really don't like you right now. But what we're taught in scripture is that he remembers our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, that, that he takes it and he blots it out. And when it says we're washed in the blood, I mean, I want you to picture him with a, a magic eraser. Those things are awesome, by the way. I use those all the time, right? The little Mr. Clean and magic erasers. And, um, and he's, he's scrubbing it clean so that our slate is completely clean. And he remembers it no more. And what I love about this is not only do we, do we remember uh, what we were forgiven, but how we were forgiven. And that's what communion was about today. See, the cross removes every excuse for ever holding anything against anyone at any time. That's painful for some of us to hear. Some of you, when I said that, you may have immediately thought of something specific that you're holding onto, and you're like, I've got an excuse. I've got a pretty good excuse. Like if you knew what this person did to me. And yet scripture commands us. God commands us to forgive. Why? Because we remember what we were forgiven and how we were forgiven. We sing this old song. You guys know this one. When I think about the Lord. How he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. And then what does it say? It says, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. So what happens when we remember what it is that Jesus did for us? It changes everything, and when we have an unforgiveness problem, we've got a memory problem. I'll wrap up with this. I want to ask the worship team just to go ahead and come up now. Verse fourteen says, "Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with love." So I love. He's using that term "clothe" again, right? So he's saying, "Sink in." to love be wrapped up in love be buried deep within love how many of you have heard that terminology that so-and-so wears their heart on their sleeve anybody heard that before and what that means is that they wear their emotions, meaning that their emotions are put on display. Sometimes it can have a negative connotation, right? Because that could also be like if that person's upset, they're going to let the world know about it. But what he's saying is let your love show as if it's your outfit, as if it's your, your, your choice of attire for that day. How many of you know that sometimes you got to dress for success, right? You got to dress for the the image that you want to portray. Well, what he's saying here is this isn't about image, but he's saying, I want you to be so clothed in love that it represents who you are and people can see it. People can experience it. And if your focus is being wrapped up in love, it sure makes it a whole lot easier to let go of other things. How many of you know I can't take hold of something if my hands are full? Let me say that again, you can't take hold of something if your hands are full. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, shoot, the Bible says um, you won't be forgiven. If you refuse to forgive your neighbor, you will not be forgiven. And so uh, I can be so desperate to hold on to something because what that person did to me is not fair. What that person did to me is not right. And I don't want them to think it's okay. And so I'm going to hold on to this. And what's going to happen is it becomes this uh, boulder that you're holding. And you're sinking to the bottom of an ocean of unforgiveness. Because all you have to do is let go and you can swim back to the top. But you're saying, I'm unwilling willing to let go of this because what this person did to me hurt me so deep but if instead we say I'm holding on to love because Christ Jesus took a hold of it for me and so I'm going to hold on to that let me tell you something church there's something so freeing about that the peace of God responds to that type of forgiveness the peace of God responds to that type of love. And when we sink into it and we clothe ourselves with it and we hold on to it, he says here in verse 14, it binds us together in perfect harmony. This will be my final point for today. Number three, hold on to what holds it together. So you gotta let go of what tears it apart, tears your peace apart, but you gotta hold on what holds your peace together and that's love. I want you to think about that phrase, perfect harmony. How many of you think that God um, wastes words in scripture, that he exaggerates? Anybody? For a fact, like perfect harmony, oh, that's just a utopian statement, right? Like you can't really mean perfect harmony. No, no, no. It's in there for a reason. See, perfection may not be something attainable for us, this side of heaven, but what is being said by Paul here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this, that when you find yourselves clothed in this type of love, which by the way, this is agape love, which is a divine love, we'll experience perfect harmony as long as we're clothed in it. As long as we have sunken in to godly Christ-like love, we'll find more and more harmony taking place in our life. The longer you hold on to it, the more perfect you become. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying we can attain perfection, but I'm saying we have this thing called agape love that has been lavished upon us. And what we're being told here is this love is taking us to holiness, taking us toward perfection. And as long as we'll hang on for the ride, we'll get closer and closer and closer to it. Sometimes we lose our grip, amen. Sometimes we fall off that bandwagon, right? But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we can jump right back on it again and experience harmony in our life. See, you cannot restore peace through your own will, but you can use your will to take take hold of what can restore peace. And I wonder if God might be speaking to some of you today to say, That stubbornness that you have in your heart, it's causing you to hold on to things against family members. It's wreaking havoc upon your peace and their peace. You're sinking and you're taking others down with you. That same stubbornness, would you apply that toward holding on to my love, to loving unconditionally, to being someone who's really difficult to offend. It's really hard to get under my skin because I love so deeply. Why, what makes that possible? Because I understand how deeply I'm loved. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me and what he saved me from, what a difference he's made in my life. When I think of all the things that I've done that offend God, that hurt God, that, that, that disappoint God, and yet he loves me with that agape love, who am I to hold anything against anyone else? When I look at the cross and I see what he paid for me, who am I to hold a grudge against somebody in my family or to treat them differently because of what they've done for me? See, this isn't a message of condemnation. This, this is a message of freedom and hope. It's not about saying what they did to you is okay, but it's about recognizing the power of God's love. Proverbs 15:1 reminds us that a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Sometimes men, can I talk to you just for a moment and I'll close with this? We're so quick to resort to anger because we don't believe in the power of love. We think to respond in love is a sign of weakness. But I'll tell you something, it's time for men to understand the might of a man whose heart that has been tenderized by Christ. To a big, strong, burly man that instead of reacting in, f- in fear and in anger can get down on one knee look at his child in the eyes and firmly say it's not okay for you to talk to me like that but I love you there's going to be a consequence for your choices but I love you too much to yell at you I love you too much to, to remain angry at you right now so even though right now you're not even sorry I forgive you and I love you so much and I'm never going to give up on you That's not weakness, men. That's power. That's influence. God wants to position you in a place to where you can bring peace back to your home. And I'm telling you right now, if it starts with fathers, if it starts with husbands, you trust in him, you remember, I can trust in God, my savior who never fails, then that will influence your decisions. It'll change your responses. And as your children and as your wife, see you responding in peace instead of reacting out of fear and anger, I guarantee you, the atmosphere of your home will begin to change. And that's my challenge to the men, but let me tell you, wives, children, the principle remains for you. And if you'll trust him in every situation, if you'll go to him every day and stay connected to him, He'll use you to change the atmosphere of your home. And so I just wanna close this morning by giving you guys an opportunity to respond to this. And I just wanna open up the front here. If you're not a church person, we we call this the altars (laughs) because an altar is where we bring, uh, where in the Old Testament, they brought sacrifices to the Lord. But in the New Testament, the altar is any place where we meet with God and we lay our own will down in exchange for his will for our lives. I just want to go back to these three keys today maybe you're here this morning and you just need to sink into peace it's time to clothe yourself with it and you know that starts by abiding in his presence and making a choice every day to walk according to the spirit maybe you're lacking some spiritual disciplines in your life and you're saying it's time to start men in here are saying it's time for me to man up and be a spiritual leader and I'm going to wake up early even though I already work long hard hours but I'm going to make time to start my day off right so that I can clothe myself with the peace of God secondly some of you in here you've got some unforgiveness you need to let go of and you didn't even realize that you were really holding on to it because you're like well of course I forgive my kids of course I forgive my wife but yet You think of what they did and it changes your attitude in the moment. If that memory still stings and still affects the way you're going to treat her the next time you see her, treat your kids the next time you see them, you haven't fully let it go. For some of you, God has given you an invitation today to release the things that are ripping apart your peace in your home. And then finally, to hold on to what holds it all together to make love your first response. Not reacting out of fear, but responding in love. I wanna invite you all to stand. And if that's you, one of those three things, you say, I need to sink into peace. I need to let go of unforgiveness. And I need to learn to respond in love. If that's you today, I just invite you to come to the front and we're just gonna spend some time in prayer. And I believe God, is going to do an inner work in your life this morning. Amen. The team's going to lead us, but come right now. Come to the front.
1: Jesus is mine He's been my fourth man in the fire Time after time I'm born of His Spirit Washed in His blood And what He did for me on Calvary, it's more than enough. So I'll trust in God, I save the One who would never fail. He will never fail. I'll trust in God, my Savior. Fair. perfect submission who all these
0: Hallelujah. We thank you, God, that you are trustworthy and that we have that blessed assurance in you and we lean upon you today. We thank you for the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only you can offer. I thank you, God, that you're gonna begin to restore peace to our families today. And I just seal this work that you've done in our hearts today in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that we're going to begin to see our homes change. And through that, we're going to see a nation healed and brought back to Christ. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you just to be seated for one more moment. As I mentioned earlier, we're trying things a little bit differently today. Things are out of order. And at this time... I'm going to invite Autumn to come, and she's going to lead us into our time of giving, so we didn't forget about that. She's going to lead us into our time of giving and also share with us uh, some things that are happening here at the fountain. Thank you, Autumn.
2: Thank you. I was going to say, I guess it's good morning, good afternoon. Um, What an amazing message, huh, and how we can really lean in on God's peace and how amazing our Father is and how fortunate we are that he's called each of us And he sees each of us as his children. And so today, as we get ready to give back what is his, he only asked for 10%. I mean, what a great God. He provides our needs. I'm just reminded that giving is about the heart. And I have to remind myself sometimes when I know I want the next thing on Amazon. (laughs) But that money I don't wanna I don't wanna bring my tithe to the altar, which I'll bring that up here in a minute where that's at, but I don't wanna bring that begudge I don't wanna bring that in the wrong manner. I wanna bring it with thankfulness and happiness because how many I don't know anybody that hasn't been through something where there's been a need. And if you just wait patiently, and if you give, and you just lean into God for the peace, he always provides your needs, always. Yet sometimes we don't remember that, do we? Sometimes our wants get in the way. So today, and I want to go back to Daniel, how you mentioned Daniel, that it took time for him to get there. Sometimes we need to remember there's a spiritual war going on. And when we give, that's praise and worship. When we give, that's telling the enemy, you can't have this. I trust my Father. I trust what He says. He's going to provide for me. He's going to go before me and fight on my behalf because the battle's already won. We just need to have patience because we live in a microwave world. So will you pray with me right now? And real quick, when I will you pray with, yeah, we'll pray first and then I'll tell you how to give, how's that work? So can we pray real quick about this? Father, I just thank you, first of all, that you provide all our needs, that you love us so much, you know every strand of hair on our head. You love us so much that you save our tears. You love us so much that you remember our sorrows, that you love us so much that in the midst of a storm, we can lean into you and you give us peace. You love us so more that you tell us to take shelter under your wing. Your wing that, that covers the whole world. All we have to do is stand under it. You love us so much that you already won the battle and we no longer have to hide. We no longer have to live in fear. When we say God is in control, you're in control because we give you the control. We no longer take it back. So Father, today as we come before you and give you what is yours, I thank you that we can come to you with a heart of gratitude, with a heart of love. Holy Spirit work in us if that work needs to happen in our heart when it comes to giving that we will be reminded it's all about you the money is not ours it's yours and you bless us abundantly all the time so we give you this day we glorify your holy name and I'm so thankful that we have the assurance Of who you are and that your word says, whatever your word says, you're faithful to complete it. You're faithful to do it. Help us with our unfaithfulness, Lord. We give you this mighty, amazing day and we thank you for your peace. Amen. There are a couple ways you can give. Um, You can give on your way out. There's the offering buckets on the round tables. You can give online. You can give through the app. And I do want to make a quick shout out for the app. Um, You can do it so it's a recurring gift, so you don't have to remember to go in and do it. Um, I know it helps me. Um, So that's an option, um, and the app makes it really easy. But, of course, if you're old school like I am in some ways and you'd rather do it by check or cash, there are... The um, buckets back there. Okay, so I have the amazing opportunity to also um, go over some announcements, and I'm really excited about the first one. Who knows what Wednesday is? Oh dear, I'm very concerned. Um, Who knows what Wednesday is? Yes, woo! We have the freedom to pray. Do you know in other countries, they don't have that freedom? And we have that freedom, so let's not take it for granted. We are committed at the fountain to pray on the second Wednesday of every month. You can easily sign up for your hour. They send you a text message. They even send you an email. There's no way you can forget, unless you're like waking up at 4 a.m. and you miss the five-minute reminder. But... There is also, you can sign up to do that with the, the. there's a card on the table and there's already a QR code there. Just scan it. If you are not tech savvy, please come see me. I'm more than happy to help you. We want to fill up Wednesday with prayer all day. Okay, uh, next Sunday is Fountain Connect. If you, are, if, if you have been visiting and you haven't had an opportunity to meet our amazing pastor, Um, And learn about the fountain. Next Sunday is your day. Um, It will be after service in the community room. um, And there'll be more about that. Uh, Pursuit. Who loves worship. Oh, that was louder than we pray all day. What's Wednesday? Okay. So. pursuit is 827 Um, if you're interested in being in the choir you can sign up for that Um, let me just read this because I didn't do my homework sign up to be in the choir under events and share your story under the prayer praise button Um, first rehearsal is 817 okay so pursuit is a time that we can come together united uh, corporately and praise the Lord who doesn't want to do that. Right. Okay. So that leaves us, um, with the announcements again, I just want to remind you the three different ways you can give online app. And as you leave the buckets there, I hope you all have a great day. Stay. Yep. 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 I know there's, there's, Oh, you're pointing to the three ways. Oh, okay. Video, yeah, there's still a video coming, but I just wanted to tell you to stay cool and make sure you stay hydrated. Okay, Um, today we end with the video from the splash event.